once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young uh, superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely... Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be Yeah, you should you should totally look at my uh, my janky mic setup that I sent you. It's great. Oh, it's not bad. Yeah, not bad. Just two mics on top of a simply trail good and gather target trail mix container. In the finest of Peoria traditions. Right. I was trying to get it away from the ambient noise, so I'm hoping that'll work. But we're live. We're recording. And it's showtime. Mm -hmm. It's showtime. Uh, Gopal, lead us in. What are we talking about today? Uh... We're talking about books. Yes, and I correct. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I know we prepare well usually, but I didn't, maybe not so much this time. Uh, at least not up to the same high standard, but... Of course not. Please elaborate. Well, uh, we thought it would be a nice little bookend. <laughs> no pun intended. On, wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> It'd be what? Uh, uh, a bookend, a nice little bookend. <laughs> that is that the first. Pardon? Is that the first ever sound effect we have played on the show, like ever? And I don't even want to know, yes. like, what you did to try to play that. I honestly don't. Uh. So <clears throat> cover you just your went ears, outside Pete, and but recorded. no, so cover your ears, but I'll tell the listeners, uh, if there are any, uh, but basically I just went to YouTube and, um, well, I, I have a clip of a car crash sound effect that I enjoy. Um, I wish I could play it more often. Like if people, uh, bomb in real life, uh, I've done this to kids at chess camps. Uh, Do you make them like useful. sit there and wait while you queue up the queue up the video. Uh, yeah, like there's this one kid in a camp, I think it was last summer that like, he just wouldn't stop, <clears throat> like just making like, these like really cornball jokes. And they're not only were they like, unoriginal, um, and corny, mind you, I believe the kid was in seventh or eighth grade. But anyway, so he just kept repeating the same ones. And I was just like, they can see me teaching on the projector. So like they made me watch as I go to youtube.com. I like stop my <laughs> lecture. They're like, what's he doing? Car crash noise. What? And then I looked at him straight in his eyes. And then I played this clip and I said, you see this, you hear this, this is how your jokes are landing right now. <laughs> that bad. Could you give us a, an example or have they been lost to the memory? The, uh, the okay, so, of time. Actually. So, you know, uh, Evaluation Station, the game that we invented during oh, our course, yeah. commentary, right. um, which we're going to be doing again. But yeah, so I, you know, I was playing that like as a means to engage some of the students, and you know, he, his evaluations were like plus 
2.69. And it was just any sort of like, that's oh, no. the, right, the 0. 0.69. And so, yeah, I mean, very, look, I very subtle on originality. Uh, oh, yeah, it would get more on the nose later. But I mean, uh, like, don't get me wrong. I like a good, uh, you know, use of those numbers, but just, again, be more creative and not all the time. Right. Understandable. So, mm. Anyway, but that's how I did it. I just <clears throat> took out my headphones, played it through my speakers. And then, uh, yeah. Anyway, Pete, did you cover your ears? professional preparation? I did. Yeah. The yeah. earmuffs were on. Um, so I have no idea what you're, you're referring to, of course, which is kind of standard practice for the show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, books, uh, it, it's kind of a nice parallel with our last episode, Gopal, where we discussed, um, the TikTok attention span and sort of the short, quick twitch, if you will, um, chess sketch ideas. Uh-huh. So today we're going the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. I would say probably as far away as you can get from uh, <coughs> that short sort of sound bite e, if I can make up that uh-huh. word, attention span. And we're going to chess books, which um, we have a lot to say. We have a lot to talk about. I, I kind of think... We're just going to be making the pitch for a few books here and talking them through and also discussing more generally the value of, of just books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where do you want to start? What do you want to go with? What is book number one on the Gopal value train? Well, here, before we maybe do that, uh, I just kind of wanted to philosophize like a little bit about, um, you know, the books themselves sort of on the heels of uh, what you mentioned about the TikTok attention span and stuff like that from, Last episode. Sure. Uh, it's, it's funny. Like if somebody comes over to my place, like you've already seen my book collection and like how substantial it was. And I mean, if you can imagine, it's only gotten worse. Um, by worse, <laughs> I mean, better. So I was going to uh, say some might say better, but yeah. Yes. No, I would say worse. Um, my family who doesn't understand me. Well, that's a different thing. But anyway, so um, yeah, it's showing it's them the library better. doesn't help. Huh? Showing them your chess library doesn't help. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. It helps them think I have a untreated mental illness, but I mean, who knows? My chess library disorder. Yeah. It's going to be yeah, the next DSM, DSM volume any, six. Well, it doesn't exist in any Asian culture. So, uh, moving on. Um, I like a lot of people often wonder whenever they first see my book collection, like how many of these books have you read? And like, they think that, like a normal book, you would read them cover to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like a lot of people, um, I mean, myself included, really don't finish chess books cover to cover. Oftentimes, because you don't need to with certain books, you can get what you get out of them. Um, and a lot of times, like certain books are, are meant to be revisited as well. Um, so I, could, I just want to kind of start with a few of those points. Yeah, that's an excellent book. And I, wow, that's an excellent point about books is what I meant. Uh And I would just sort of like highlight that, you know, some of my all-time favorite books now have essentially what are obsolete sections in them. Um, Uh I can think of, if I recall correctly, I think it's Training for the Tournament Player, which is a a classic. It has a section on analyzing adjourned positions, right? Oh, yeah. That's probably the most egregious of the obsolete Exactly. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, we could go, we could go sort of less and less down the, down the rabbit hole, like older opening books, for example. But to Mm -hmm. me, you know, I think what happens sometimes 
is people see a chapter like that, you know, they're they're flipping through the the introduction, they're flipping through the um, the the index, <coughs> and they're like, well, I don't need this book. This book covers stuff that I wouldn't even you know ever encounter, and so they just you know cast it aside, and they're missing out on a lot of valuable content. Right. Yeah. Someone would just look at it and some, you you might just pick it up and look at it like, oh, I don't need any of this because it has this obsolete section and you'd miss out on all the, on all the happy, fun, good times. Right. Now what you do need is you need to go onto Twitter and watch somebody cross like 1100. A gif of an 1100 bullet rating. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the quote-unquote yeah. London system, which is like D4, C5, Bishop F4, C takes D4. Yeah. <laughs> For example. <laughs> or my favorite, D4, D5, Bishop F4, C5, Knight F3, uh, CD4. Or no, it's not D5. It's like Knight F6. You know the trap where they take back on D4 and you play pawn E5 and queen A5 check picking up the bishop. Oh, yeah. D4, C5. Or yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah well, Something like D4, that. D4, Knight F6. Yeah. yeah, knight f3, c5, bishop f4, then cd4, knight d4, e5. White thinks for a little while and then captures the pawn, thinking they're up up material. Or what about e4, c5, d3, knight c6, bishop f4? I can play the London system against e4, hashtag woke. Ah, interesting. That's a new one that I have not heard, but why not? I Look, why why not? Also, AKA reverse Fred liver. Oh, knight that's C3, right. Yeah. It's a mirror image. Yeah. Right. You're Forgetting the fact that there's a pawn on D6, but right. Yeah. 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 And you, you know, you somewhat analogous. E5. I mean, it's totally analogous. If you put your mind to it, if you, if you put your mind to it, anything is right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Season three, uh, Ted Lasso's up. <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I don't know. I, I, know. I can't play a car crash for that because I don't even know if it is. I, I've never seen it. That was I've my guess, and it. I love it. I'm like totally addicted. I think it's the greatest thing ever written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, okay. Anyway, so, okay. The, the ADDs taking over. Yeah. Um, so, what was the episode about again? The attention span. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. What the? <laughs> oh dear. Um. Okay. Anyway, go on. Uh. Yeah. So. We our our idea today is basically to take books that have these nuggets. They don't have to necessarily be like a cover to cover the style book, but we're going to discuss um, books with something valuable that, that we want to take away and sort of make the elevator pitch for them, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's yeah, number absolutely. one on your list for this so-called elevator pitch? I don't know if I've put them really in any sort of uh, order. Um I mean, have you, you've, we've talked a lot about under the surface so already on this podcast and it, there's already a review of me, uh, or on Ben Johnson's, uh, enemy of the podcast, Ben Johnson's podcast. Um, there's a review of you shows. reviewing, uh, it's, it's the, me, uh, forgot the guy's name and then Ben Johnson reviewing under the surface. <laughs> forgot the guy's name. That's great. So what know, is it? What am I, what am I supposed to do? Make the elevator pitch for the book. What is the, yeah, of course you always, you don't have that like, okay. So if it's an elevator pitch, I mean, basically, you know, one thing that I love about like chess books and the joy of reading a new chess book is to encounter certain things, topics, um, highlights that are not 
traditionally discussed in chess literature. Um, I know that uh, like fellow bibliophiles can certainly agree that there are a few points that are constantly like regurgitated over and over again. Um, so it's always refreshing to see something new and under the surface does this with a traditional chess strategy, but just kind of reframed in a rather playful uh, manner. What does Ashme Dury would say? What does the title under the surface refer to? How does that come out in the book? Uh, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's like a chapter in there on uh, calculation um, that comes out. It's like, uh, what is it? The, the iceberg, mm-hmm. I believe. The like, tip of the uses, iceberg. And then what's uses a lot of analogies like that. I mean, basically, like the way I would describe it is analogous to a meme that I've seen. It's like the iceberg is like so small on the surface of the, you know, uh, the water, but then below it, it's like my untreated mental illness, my, you know, this, <laughs> my that, like. I'll remind yeah. listeners that we introduced you at one point as low-key meme lord, which I think rings very true. Yeah. When I hear under the surface, I think of this, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was a Lee Chess blog post or article you wrote called Invisible Moves. Uh, yeah, that was a YouTube video uh, I, I made. It was Invisible Mistakes in Chess. Does that have any, did, was that inspired or vice versa from this idea of, you know, sort of under the surface, things that are not um, immediately visible on top of the water? Um, uh, I'd have to revisit that lecture specifically to see uh, what it is, but I will say this almost if that book, I believe came out 2018 Mm -hmm. and I read it around then and Almost every aspect of my chess teaching has been influenced by that book. It's a very, very heavy influence on me. Anybody that knows me well knows that I can go on and on about this book. And I can always reread it and find something new. This is really a true, um, you know, characteristic of a great chess book. Interesting. Nice. Okay. With mm-hmm. every book that we talk about, I'm curious, I'd like to give the listeners who are, who are listening to the show sort of a, um, a rough audience range. What's the target audience for this book in terms of not only skill level, uh, but also, you know, like what, are, <clears throat> what, what can I expect uh, as an audience would, would benefit well from this book? So most maybe. I would say anybody that characterizes themselves as a hashtag chess punk should stay away. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But you really like, if we're to follow my logic about chess books meant to um, they're, they're meant to be revisited, Mm -hmm. you know, really you can revisit it almost at any level. I mean, I would say recommended probably like 14, 1500 to start. That might be a bit much, but like I used to like one of the ways that I really got obsessed with chess and chess books by extension was, uh, you know, really kind of reading what was above my pay grade and yeah. like trying to comprehend it. I mean, you'll drive yourself nuts, um, but, you know, I mean, I put in the time, obviously, to kind of work some stuff out. And I mean, I would revisit it periodically and, you know, in a way I'm kind of thankful I I did some things like that because I 
could really get a good track of my growth, you know, because right. I look at a certain position, I'd remember exactly what I thought, you know, the first time I saw it and then just like being able to comprehend more and more and more as I revisit it. Um, realize maybe even some of the mistakes in your initial assessment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing this recently with another book that I might be an honorable mention, uh, perfect your chess. Have you, have you read this book by the way? I'm not familiar with that one. No. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that one too. Cool. What about you? What's, uh, or do you have any more questions about Under the Surface, or should we talk about uh, one of your top choices? I would just have one more as I was listening to you discuss it. You know, I like the idea of punching above your pay grade. Um, mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I'm curious about is when you do that, are there any particular techniques that you would recommend to somebody who wants to do that, who wants to challenge themselves and and kind of, you know, quote unquote, play up with a book? Um what, what would you recommend as a starting point or special important things to, to do? Well, you know, you need, I think that the most efficient way to do it uh, would be under the guidance of a coach or title sure. player. Um, and I mean, this is kind of the, the nice thing about um, the sort of network of Im- improvers and stuff like that. They, rather than us adult regressors is that they like, you know, they can post positions and they'll like theorize or, or whatever about a certain position, but like, you know, not it's, it's hard to get the proper and succinct answers, but I mean like hiring a, a dedicated coach or a title player to help really is a good thing. Cause like you could have as a topic for a lesson, Hey, I encountered this position and this, you know, makes me it makes me feel totally stuck and like oftentimes when unpacking that you can you know discover certain tendencies in your play and thinking i like that i like that a lot i think that's great advice um yeah and it's good you know i think it's it's also good to think of those things if you're to have a plan in place if you're going to try to punch above your weight right uh, it's active learning exactly right right um so i actually separated mine into three categories Um, the first one is uh, I picked out one puzzle book, one sort of like general theory book, and then a games collection are the three that I picked out. Um, and the puzzle book that I selected was, um, it's an interesting one. It's actually was one that was gifted to me by a student and I really, really, really enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's called desert Island chess puzzle omnibus. Have you heard of this one? Uh, is it? By Graham Burgess or like... Uh, he is one of the four listed authors on the book. Yeah, yeah Gambit, so. Gambit Publication. No, I, I haven't. Uh, I don't think I've, I've taken a look at it, actually. So the four listed authors are Graham Burgess, Michael Adams, John Nunn, and Wesley So. Um, so I, I, my assumption oh, is wow. that it's some sort of collab or something. What I really like about it is the, the way that the exercises are organized And then the commentary is also like unique, like they'll give some sort of brief introduction. Some of them will explain game moments. Um, I'm just going to give you like a few of the section headers to give you sort of a flavor of the book. Um, Clear tactics is one, followed immediately by tricky decisions. Um, Another one is called defensive tasks. So it's not just like, you know, forks, pins, skewers, you know what I mean? Checkmates in two. Um, Complex cases is is another title. So the idea here of the book is that they separate them into, instead of like 
tactical themes, they're like almost what I would refer to as like a game moment, right? So you're in the moment uh-huh. of the game and you have a hard decision to make, or there's a complex case, you know, that we have to really think through. And I like that. I think it's a really effective way of, of teaching sort of approach to right. essentially what it is, is puzzle solving or problem solving. And it's like really fun too. To me, part of, part of a book, um, part of a, a book recommendation that I, that I'll make is how much I enjoy the book. And I did enjoy the book. The examples were really nice. They, they really fit the, the section or the theme that they were placed in. And on top of that, another thing that made it particularly enjoyable, enjoyable for me, I, I'm a big believer in like examples have to highlight your theme. You know what I mean? The example should highlight what you're talking about. Uh, so not only was that the case, but, you know, the solutions were pretty good at walking students through like, well, what if this, what if that, right? Um, so they can, they consider, you know, some solutions don't consider some more like what I would consider more, more intuitive moves. They'll consider like what happened in the game and maybe a, a computer line or an engine line, as opposed to just like the intuitive human response, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rather than just like a, a variation dump. Right, right. Variation dumps, in my opinion, are not particularly useful. And I think a lot of, I, I don't want to say a lot, I hate to generalize, but a trap that some modern author, authors fall into is what I what I call the engine trap, which is just too much engine analysis in the book, right? And not enough, like, looking at it with your, with as Gopal would say, with your own two eyes. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I think... Um... I mean, yeah, and I don't, I don't want to get too far off topic, but like, uh, we never do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is something I, one of the reasons why I was kind of, um, not as big of a fan of, uh, Jakob, uh, Ogo or Agard as Westerners say, um, like, like his, some of his, uh, grandmaster preparation series, like they're great books. And I think maybe he got better with it throughout the, as the series went on, but I, especially in the calculation book, um, I've picked out certain parts of his, uh, his analysis and examples. And I've showed it to a few friends of mine that are GMs and like, what's realistic to see. And uh, you could just tell the certain variations that he would casually spit out were very engine like. Mm-hmm. and, um, you know, this, okay, nobody is perfect. Nobody has all the answers. And this is a trap that oftentimes us teachers uh, can fall into, you know, you're looking at a computer because you want to save some time for your students. And then sometimes you might lose perspective yourself. Um, but like, yeah, the, the whole engine trap thing, um, wouldn't, it doesn't bother me as much. Uh, but, if, if like, it's just kind of like an honest mistake or whatever, but I've felt sometimes that uh, the tone in which Agard writes is just a little too arrogant for my taste. Um, I think you know, that's what so. makes like decision-making when you're, when you're authoring a book makes it difficult is the, the engine, the, where the judicial use of an engine, let's put it that way. Right. Like, yeah. Where and how, and to what extent, because on one hand, you don't want to have the readers, you know, go through it and think, well, you know, this is trash, this is ridiculous because I can refute this with Fritz 10 or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but, on, you know, or, or the, the main line with Fritz 10 is not even considered, okay? That's but true. You don't want to have that. But on the other hand, you also don't want to get bogged down in these, like, almost at times, you know, 
um, unthinkable lines. Like, are we really even considering this like weird, you know, sack everything for repetition, 22 moves away from the current moment, you know? That's true, but you know, chess is also like evolving more and more, and uh, it's be- it's become such a concrete game. And even like these outlandish neural net ideas, like uh, like an Alpha Zero might have, or a lot of the newer engines, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's possible to learn to play like them. In in it's it's kind of sick, but like it, I feel like I've been able to emulate like some of their pawn sacrifices. Uh, like I had a chapter. Nice. In, one of my old book projects called Neural Net Pawn Sack, like kind of characterizing this very abstract type of pawn sacrifice that computers generally like nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there is a certain like wisdom to that, I guess, but yeah, it's just like the arrogance. And, and this is why I said earlier, this important thing of, um, you know, having an experienced coach or a title player or something sure. to guide you because you need to know what's realistic to expect during the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And actually, you know, to your point about playing like a neural net, I have this, the very same student who gifted me this book actually uh, will occasionally just move a random A or H pawn, you know, like A4, H4 mm-hmm. um, in a middle game because, you know, the the um, the neural nets and the, the alpha go or alpha zero, excuse me, love to do things like that. And I have a hard time showing or proving why it's not a strong move. And upon further analysis, it usually turns out to be, it's like remarkable, just these random a pawn moves, you know, when, when the position is fairly equal, there's maneuvering and, and there's and unclear what to do. You just push your rook pawn and it usually works out. I'm, I'm shocked at how, how frequently it turns out to be a very mm-hmm. strong move. Yeah. Yeah. And All right. I mean, especially in the opening, like I'm sure you've had the, Oh, sorry. No, go fire away. Thing. Fire away. Yeah. Like one of my favorite um, examples recently um, in for this type of uh, idea was in the Queen's Indian with G3, which I know you've played as white um, and mm-hmm. as black too. Uh, G3, bishop, b7, mm-hmm. bishop, g2, bishop, e7, castle, castle. So here there's the Pulagayevsky gambit and alpha zero favorite with d5, the old move knight c3. And... Lately here, um, you know, H4 is like a big hit with some of the computers. Yeah. What's the idea to go something like Bishop G5 and trade off the dark square Bishop at some juncture? I mean, I don't even understand what's the point or just Uh, to play H5 and gain space. Well, you can't play H5 right away, but yeah. So if you do play Bishop G5 and take on F6, it's a, it's a common idea in this type of line because you'll go Knight C3 and E4. So you're trying to get control over the E4 square. Mm -hmm. Um, if you'll notice the pawns on the dark squares, they offer a certain um, stability on the king side. Like if black sets up with g6, h5 could be natural. Right. And also it limits the pawns on the dark squares, limit the scope of black's unopposed bishop. Um, the dark Which square just right, yeah, right. And overall, I mean, the situation in the center is pretty stable. So kind of referring to what you said earlier about not a whole lot happening and Stuff yeah, like and so then uh, there there goes the rook pawn right when there's right pretty a stable, stable side position. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. interesting idea, but yeah, I just thought I'd mention that it's kind of a you know yeah. I, I honestly, I, you're right. I do play that a lot, but I haven't seen that particular idea yet. Very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, moving on. What do you got for book number two? Uh, book number two is risk and bluff in chess. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a book I like that I title. think. 
Yeah. Uh, Bobby Fischer might like not. Yeah, Bobby Fischer might not, but I like the title. Mm. Well, yeah, we can ask him maybe what we think. I mean, I have that book uh, next to me. It's going to be my third book, so that's a little <laughs> teaser. But um, so, yeah, Risk and Bluff and Chess is by Vladimir Tukmakov. Um, I first encountered this book in the, like, when I visited the library where I first, uh, you know, checked out my first chess book. Um, it's back home in the suburbs. And when I had to go back. And so I got so engrossed in the book that before I knew it, the library was closing. So I, was, I must've been reading it for like three, two, three hours straight mm-hmm. and just kind of forgot where I was. And so we went to the mid America open you and me. And I was just, I had a very good tournament. Um, it was an eight way tie for a second, maybe. And I think Shimanov beat Holt because if they drew, if Holt managed to hold on, I would have tied for first with a bunch of GMs. But mm-hmm. I had a really good tournament, and I just had a lot of this book um, in mind. Like some of the examples, they're very intri- intriguing. Um, okay. Just examples of different types of risks and bluffs, if you will. Um, in the opening, like they profile Tal. There's a chapter called The Madness of the Brave, The Logic of the Irrational. Chapter six, my favorite, Masculine Desperation, just because of the name. Um, and yeah, I I, there, I was in like uh, a spot in my last round where I was playing a 2300 player and I had to, like he had played well to equalize and just uh, at some point I, I knew I wanted to play for a win to try to tie for a first. And then... Um, just thinking about this book helped me extract the maximum from that position. And even uh, at the end, the, yeah, the position should have been drawn, but he lost on time. And so immediately, yeah, I had that book in my mind the whole time. And so when I got back to Chicago, um, I saw it the next day in a Barnes and Noble and Mm -hmm. I bought it. And yeah, it's just a really fascinating book. Anytime I feel like, you know, I'm in a rut with chess or it feels dull. I'll open that book and just, you know, it's kind of nice to see the the limitations um, right. of the game and how they can be pushed. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like a unique, um, almost juxtaposition, right, of this idea that you might think is more in in poker or, or some other some other thing, right? Risk and bluff. We don't really often associate those words. Oh, absolutely. Chess. In yeah, fact, I, it's funny. I kind of glossed over that whole point because... For for uh, experienced players like us, like I mean, we we've talked had many conversations about the meta side of chess. Like that's yeah. so huge, you know. Right, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, you know one of the things when I there's a very careful line that we have to draw to make the distinction between like risk and bluff in chess and like hope chess. You know, when I work with mm-hmm. younger students in particular, they tend to uh, err on the side of hope chess at times. Oh, and absolutely. I actually forced them one time to look up the definition of chess in a dictionary because I don't know if this remains the case, but the Webster (laughs) standard dictionary definition used to be a game of pure skill, right? Like there's no luck involved. Oh, wow. A game of pure skill. Yeah, that was the definition. Well, Hmm. that was the very first part of the definition, the first sentence, um, which I always thought was very interesting, right? It's not... You know, they're they're comparing it, for example, to like exactly like I said, like a poker or a backgammon or anything that involves an element of chance, whereas chess, by the very definition, does not. And yet here we have right risk and bluff in chess. 
Yeah. I mean, there, I think there is definitely like a certain, there definitely is a certain amount of luck, but it's, it's more abstract, you know, um, other games like totally by definition, um, you know, like you brought up poker earlier, right. You could make all the super high percentage plays and still lose and like lose for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like this, it's very important to kind of know where to draw the line. Like a lot of times, uh, less experienced players or younger players, they'll have like an idea, but it's not very sophisticated and it works only in one very cooperative line, mm-hmm. you know? So like, that's kind of an example of like where you draw the line with them. And yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of times too, you know, let's say you're in a situation where to put it mildly, maybe you're not going to get the best of it, but keeping in mind either your opponent's playing tendencies or like clock situation or like, the trend of the game, you know, you might not make the objectively best move, which could lead to a two result game, right? You're playing for either struggling for a draw or like, you know, you might lose, but instead, you know, you could d- decide to feel the moment. Um, if that's what, what it, <laughs> if, feel if, it. If, it, if it strikes you. Yeah. Yeah. And take a chance, take a chance, you know, reminds me of one of my favorite quotes and I can't even remember what book it was from. But the, the quote is, you know, in a bad position, all moves are bad, <laughs> right? Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. idea the author was trying to make is essentially, right. you know, like, look for chances, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is one of my favorite quotes, for sure. Yeah. I wrote it's that. just like, thank you, Captain Obvious. But on the other hand, it's also brilliant, you know? like You're welcome. You're welcome. I that's sing, you know that song from Moana? Yeah. I've never seen that movie. Mm. My kids love it. And I don't... I, I, I quote that to them all the time when uh, they're thanking me for something that they're not really thanking me for. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I might be daddy, but I don't acknowledge any of my kids. Fair enough. Um, uh, moving on. Anyway. So I, my, my book too, I actually kind of cheated. Um, mm-hmm. I'm picking three books, but they're all from the same series. Mm-hmm. Um, so the series is called the comprehensive chess course series. Uh, these are my sort of, you know, more like oh, general the chess theory books. Yeah, Lev Albert series. And I think uh, there were there were multiple authors on this series. I think Albert and Palatnik. I think Krogius was another one. Um, mm-hmm. So the three books from that series that really caught my attention, I'm going to put them sort of in order from lowest level slash easiest up through hardest. The first one is um, Chess Tactics for the Tournament Player. Mm-hmm. Second one is called Chess Strategy for the Tournament Player. Yeah. And the third one is called Just the Facts. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Yeah, that's the endgame one, right? Correct. That's the endgame one. So Yeah, I had that in my high school backpack, and then one day I like I got sunscreen all over it. <laughs> it was in the same like compartment, and I just I don't know why that's so day, funny. And I'm like, well. Okay, I'm just going to pretend that that's not there, and I'm not going to tell anybody about that years later. Um, right. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the series. Um, yeah, so the, the reason I'm picking these, there are a couple things. Number one, as I've already discussed when we talked about Under the Surface, I really like books. What really matters to me in books is, are the examples relevant, and do they enhance, you know, not just show the point or show what the author is trying to say, but do they also like enhance the point or enhance what the author is trying to teach or convey? Uh And I think that their example selection in 
really all three books is pretty on point. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I like about them is they're incredibly easy to follow. They don't bog you down in deep variations. They sort of move. There's a nice, uh, if you will, tempo <laughs> to, yes. to playing through them. You know, you don't get caught in extremely lengthy chapters. It, they're, they're to the point. The examples are relevant. They enhance what the author is trying to do. And um, in all cases, they also have exercises as well, which, for, which serve to sort of further enhance the, the point yeah, that the author is trying that's- to teach. That's the one thing, like, with Under the Surface, too, you know, like, Mm. I feel like it would have been just the best chess book of all time if it had exercises. Um, Yeah. But, you know, he, in the spirit of the book, like, he he keeps things simple and concise, kind of like the variations that you're talking about. Um, And one thing I did want to say about that uh, is that I've read reviews of certain books, even by strong players, could be like FM, IM, whatever. Mm-hmm. For this type of book that you're talking about, um, I would say definitely it applies more to the strategy uh, type books. And, yeah. you know, the author will be like putting in a certain example under the microscope where, you know, we're talking about planning or whatever. And so, you you know, the plan was realized clearly in the game or whatever. But and the reviewer is like, well, you know, the opponent could have played this, this, this and, you know, just very nitpicky and prevented the realization of the opponent's plan or just like take the game in a totally different channels. And I think that's oftentimes missing the point. Um, I think a good example should show like how the game can proceed depending if it's with uh, a strategy type lens of examination. Right. Um, So yeah, this, this like, you know, not too heavy on pros, not too heavy on variations, but like very clear, concise to yes. the point yeah exactly. i always tell students uh, chess strategy for the tournament player the second book that i mentioned basically won me the chicago open under 2300 section one year although mm-hmm. i ended up getting i ended up getting only second because i was surpassed at the last second by someone who uh, snatched into six points out of seven i only had five and a half three draws um i don't know if you remember this game it was against nathaniel crank fellow master in the final round and chapter three of chess strategy for the tournament player is, is called when a piece is caught out of the main action. And it, of course, uh-huh. I believe goes through the famous Capablanca game where the, the white bishop gets. Oh, winter Capablanca. Yeah. Six G five. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the, and the bishop, uh, the dark square bishop, the white dark square bishop gets caught on, on G three and never can reenter. Right. Um, <clears throat> very similar thing happened to me in the, in the crank game, except totally different uh, system and position. It was the, I believe it's the Ragozin, right? D4, D5, C4, right? yeah. E6, Knight C3, Knight F6, Knight F3, Bishop B4, Bishop G5. And uh, he ended up castling queenside, got a bishop cut out of play, and I had the, the H-pawn target on H6 um, that I won. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Game. Bishop G4. Yeah, and you had that pawn avalanche on the king side too. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I remember now. And it was just um, one piece, like, temporarily caught out of the game. And, it, and it, I followed the... The strategy laid out in chess strategy for the tournament player chapter three, I followed it to a T and he easily won the game. And I think like 26, 27 moves. Right. Yeah. You had a initiative on the side of the board where the piece was missing. Right. In effect, the opponent's down piece. Exactly. Yeah. This right. is, yeah, this is good. Yeah. This is like a classic. Um, it, I, I, I often review similar books. In fact, I also won the Chicago under 2300 section partially due to a review of 
uh, Johan Helston's Mastering Chess Strategy. Mm-hmm. So a very similar book, like clear, concise examples. Um, you know, a little, it goes a little bit more beyond and like gets a bit more specific than chess strategy for the tournament player. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I would give that, uh, you know, your choice, my wholehearted recommendation as well. Nice. Very good. Very good. Uh, some th- one, oh, sorry, just one quick thing, just real quick point. Um, I know there are some of like Palatnik's games in there. Like one of his, a few of his selections I didn't like. I mean, mm-hmm. granted, it is always hard to, you know, have a perfect example. And sure, you do want to show off a little bit just to add some credentials, um, you know, some street credit, street credit as the yeah. children right. uh, are saying nowadays. Um, but, you know, a big mistake or a big trap I think a lot of authors fall into or a lot of readers don't see coming is the game collection or best game collection in disguise. Um, A lot of times a book will be about a certain topic, but like totally by intention has like a lot of the author's games in it. Um, You know, and it's, it's, it's something that Soltis has written about. I, I can't, think of too many examples off the top of my head. Uh, there's, I know Golubev, his uh, thing on the King's Indian is mostly okay. uh, like that. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot like that, but... Yeah, I, I think uh, I know what you're talking about, the Golubev, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, Mastering the King's Indian. Um, yeah, I don't think know. that's the case in, in these. I, there, you're right, though. There are right. a couple Polotnik examples, but overall, I think they're very out of to place, the point. But, but that's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's all. Okay, moving on, third and final, Gopal, what do you got? So, for the third and final example, um, man, this was a really tough choice, but uh, it's a book that I think is really unappreciated, so I'm going to talk about it. It's called Bobby Fischer, His Approach to Chess by Elie Auger, okay. A-G-U-R. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a French master, um, maybe like a national master. I can't find any information about this guy. Hmm. Uh, I've looked a few times throughout the years. I couldn't find anything. And it's really just a wonderful book. Um, I'm a big Bobby Fischer fan. Like I designed when I was younger, a lot of my opening repertoire um, directly influenced by him because one of the first books I got was a complete game collection of Bobby Fischer's. Um, And I've read almost everything there is to read on Fischer. And what Augur Augur does is he takes a look at a lot of different aspects of Fischer's play. So, for instance, certain material balances, um, like his tendency to maybe grab pawns, um, setups that were atypical in his play, um, his... uh, like his tendencies for trying to fight for the initiative, almost anything <clears throat> that you can think of, um, he puts under the sun and finds a lot that's that's new and useful. And yeah, every time I, I look at this book, I just see something new, you know? Um, yeah, it's unique that you're highlighting this one. There's a lot of work, a lot of written work on Fisher. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously one of the most interesting and well-known figures in chess, chess history and, and um, you know, the, the entirety of the game. So uh, I, I'm very curious that you're highlighting this one in particular. It must have really caught your eye. Yeah, because, 
the way in which it's sort of uh, it's categorized, like even typical blunders and oversights. Um, and yeah, like, like one, one of the things that really makes me appreciate this book quite a bit in a trap, I think that a lot of uh, less experienced players fall into is trying to, or like somehow um, noticing certain correlations that are actually like just false or mm-hmm. ludicrous. So like, you know, this guy has made a lot of um, conclusions that are pretty, that like are pretty interesting and, you know, he shows the evidence to back it up. Um, an example of the, maybe an incorrect or like a less correct example would be, uh, I have a student who is an enemy of the podcast. Um, <laughs> we and, have so many. And they have a student who is a computer programmer. So like a lot of stuff is pretty, I mean, you know. I'm sorry, you didn't like specify if the student student was a friend or enemy of the podcast. Uh, the student that is teaching yes, the other but person. The student student, are they a friend or an enemy? I don't know. Or neither? I, Undefined? I would, hope, I would hope an enemy. Okay. Moving right um, along. I, we have to clarify this for everyone. Just Yes, to, uh, absolutely. Right. Um and so they they work with uh, technology. And so I remember us musing, uh, my friend who is the enemy of the podcast, uh, about a question that the student asked, like, oh, when is uh, uh, the move A3 good? Because, mm-hmm. like, he, there was, it, it had come up in a few of his games or, like, B3 or whatever, just some, like, innocuous pawn move. And then... So the obvious answer is like, it depends. That's it way depends. too big of exactly. a question. Right. Right. But like he was really trying very hard and to find a formula or like a way to understand chess. That was like, you know, when should I play this move, this pawn move, you know, a three or B three, which is, uh, I mean, preposterous to put it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, you know, it's, it's, well, I yeah, think I wish my cousin was here so I could hold his hand. Uh, go on. I, th- <laughs> I think you know. I think it's difficult because there's, um, and this is this is something that actually I've spoken about quite quite a lot, which is, um, you know, how do you teach priorities within a game and within chess, right? Because even like knowing what question to ask um, is uh, can be a challenge when you have this vast landscape or or space that is chess, right? So like knowing, oh, this question is too vague. Having that knowledge um, is something that you and I almost take for granted, right? Right. But um, how do you how do you convey that to a student and like leading them through things in a manner that is not only sensical but also helps them like prioritize their understanding? Like it doesn't matter when it is good to play A three or B three, right? Right. What we, what we have to understand is you know what should we be doing at any given moment in the position, you know. Um, there's no, there's no like maxim for when, when it is good to play any move, right? When is it good to mm-hmm. play King E2? I don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Number two after E4, <laughs> but, yeah. but that's sort of the point, you know? Um, anyway, I digress. Anything further before we move on to the final book that we have today? Um, let me think. I, there is something I did want to say, uh, leading off a little bit from your last point of like how to gather information, like, you know, how we almost take this kind of thing for granted. Um, 
I mean, how much of that do you think is related to the manner in which we had to scour for these answers? Um, oh, that's an a, interesting point. In yeah. an era when like just information was not so widespread. Yeah, it's a very different learning experience when when part of part of your chess um, progression is owed to like literal searching that you had to do, as opposed to you know like and not like going to Google and typing something in a search bar. I mean, like literally trying to track down a book or a periodical at the library, as opposed to you know. Um, well, anything, any YouTube video I want is at my fingertips. You know, I can get any chess theory, any chess topic on my computer screen in about 20 seconds. Right. Mm -hmm. We came from an era where part of your actual chess learning experience was being able to find something to learn, whether it was a periodical or, you know, a book or even like an informant, uh, whatever the case may be you know, actually tracking down material to help yourself progress in chess was part of the journey. It was like an integral part of the experience, like finding something that gave you an edge. Um, whereas today, I mean, everyone has, for the most part, everyone has access to the same amount of the same information, the same data, and you can get it very quickly. Um, right. And, oh, sorry, go on. I was just gonna say free or paid, you could get it very quickly. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, the, the one thing I'll say that despite that, a lot of uh, people, I find e- even very smart people don't know how to research something properly in that um, this information you're getting, uh, trying to like find the, uh, even, even if it's the person's credentials, um, you know, any anybody can make like a video, right? Anybody can... Mm-hmm you know, publish right, an article like, like on Lee Chess. Like, reading is uh, useful. I, I tell yeah. students that all the time when it comes to Lee Chess studies, right? There's just this right. massive amount of Lee Chess studies, but they could be made by anyone. You just don't know. Right, exactly. And, you know, as uh, the person who I learned pool from, Larry Schwartz, retired professional player, um, he, he once said like, oh, you know, I think the guy that's bumming cigarettes in the parking lot has, has like some good answers. I think he knows how to play this shot. Like, you know, every, like, ex- yeah, this was, yeah. And yeah, this was uh, specifically with regards to one of a person that we know that just kind of took advice from everybody, even though he had taken lessons with Larry and, mm-hmm. you know, this is a guy who devoted his entire life to pool, but, you know, sure. Pay attention to the guy that's been playing for three years and, you know, is asking people for cigarettes in the parking lot. But anyway, um, yeah, like even knowing the person's credentials and, and I, because this is a little, this is so preposterous to me. Uh, I can't, I can't even put my mind, um, in the, I, I can't even put myself in the mind of a person who'd be stimulated by something like this, but like, think about as, as reels get more and more popular or like even, it could be a longer video, like all these gimmicky gambits to genocide the Sicilian defense to like, you know, uh, Hiroshima, the Carol Khan or I've whatever. So like, many, like weird gimmicky titles like that. On, and, and somehow I don't know how I never search for them. I never look for them, but they're popping up in my Instagram feed and I hate it. Maybe this is saying something about your chest. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> no, I saw, so there's one. Watch my cat videos in peace for crying out loud. Come on. Yes, exactly. And 
Like there's one the in the Carol Khan I saw. If anyone uh-huh. knows. The, the fresh skippity paps. You know what I'm talking about? If you know. Uh, you know. There is one in the Carol Khan that was E4. <laughs> so check this out. This okay. is how you you destroy the Carol Khan defense. Um, E4, C6, uh, Knight F3, D5, D3. So funny thing, this is actually like Leela's uh, one of Leela's top choices um, mm-hmm. against the Karokan. In fact, it, it I know it was for sure at some point, um, and it's a very interesting system. But D take E four, mm-hmm. and the gambit was Knight G five. the The correct move, oh, of yes. course, is D take E four. Right. I've seen this gambit. Yeah. Yes. E D three Bishop D three H six Knight F seven seven and then King F seven Bishop G six check. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now. What would I mean? Because I, it's so bizarre to me. I have like a very good friend who just loves stuff like that and plays it like legitimately as part of his repertoire. Like, what is this person's life? Like, they see that and they're like, "But it works." Well, That's the thing. I have like, so many questions. At, at like the fourteen hundred level, it works. That's why they do it. It's because it works, right? And because also at the fourteen hundred level, like if the game isn't over in like you know twenty twenty to twenty five moves, then both players start to feel very lost, which is an, a natural understanding feeling. Because, sure. you know, you're still getting better, you're improving. But I think like that's the appeal is they don't want to get into that territory where they start to feel like less sure or like less um, in control of the game, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, control, it's a, it's a great... I mean, chess is a great game for control freaks. Like, you know, you're... <laughs> Uh, as Han Reese or Hans Reese said in the unfortunately titled documentary, a love for wood, um, you know, you're omnipotent, you know, you have like all the power in the world, right. Over this little universe. And yeah. And, and in some ways this applies to this, uh, gimmick discussion, I guess, because, you know, you feel like so much smarter than the other person, like that you trick them and like, oh, all my hard work is paying off or I don't know. Just I, I can't just because it's so obviously gimmicky and I fear that a lot of people might not understand what I mean by that. Like, I just have so many questions. Yeah. I'm just wondering what it feels like. Like, Probably you know, it's great when it works. I mean, yeah, Probably sometimes being extremely dumb satisfying is when it works. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss, right? Isn't that what this It is? really is. Yeah, I was trying to find a more mean way to say that, but it's it's to okay. To be fair, I actually subscribe to that theory. I wish I could be ignorant again. About so yeah, many yeah. No, no, for sure. I, I was talking about this like with my one of my best buds, Bob Poole, recently, because I'm I'm going through a lot of the same, you know, improvement. Yeah, just get the stick and hit the ball, go ball. That's all you need. Yeah, exactly. It's everything seems so easy when you don't know what's going on. Right. That's what I do but, when I play pool. I just take the stick and hit the ball. And I'll ball. be goddamned if you don't have some good hand-eye coordination. You definitely <laughs> do. Uh, thank you very much. I'll take that as a compliment. doesn't help me much in chess, though. Well, not with that attitude. Anyway. <laughs> uh, last book? Uh, yes, your last book. Okay. As I said, my first one was a puzzle book. My second one was like a theory, kind of like an approach book. And my third one is a games collection. There are so many that I could name, but I feel like I have to name this one because it is absolutely my all-time favorite. Uh, It was introduced to me by a good friend and sort of like a pseudo coach. Um, And we went to the same uh, university. He was a doctorate student when I was a freshman. 
Boris Eliasson. Michael Parsons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, do you have a, do you, know, you must know the book, right? Surely you know the games collection I love the most. Um, I can tell you the author, but it's, you get it immediately. Smizlov? Uh, no, although that was on my list of ones that I was thinking of talking about. Recently passed away, the author. As Recently the passed away. Thing. In the last two years. The last ten years. The last ten years. Cortroy? No. I, Bronstein is the author. Oh, Bronstein. Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, of course. So the book is Zurich International 1953. It's a tournament recap. The players at that event included some of the all-time greats, uh, Max Uwe, Smyslov, already mentioned, Bronstein himself, Nidorf, Taimanov. You know, these are the greats of the greats of classical era chess. Um, one of my all-time favorite books, I, I always relate, you know, we're talking about gimmicky, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about this book is the the depth of the, of the, um, the comments and the stories are, are sort of encapsulated in this one exchange. I believe, I believe it was a Boleslavsky, uh, Boleslavsky game. And Boleslavsky in, in a King's Indian decides to just swap the Queens off then and there. And the game peters out to a draw within like five or six moves. Right. Mm-hmm. And Bronstein is telling this little anecdote within the book. And he says, after the game, you know, we asked him, did you do that? Cause you wanted a draw. And Boleslavsky says, no. And then Bronstein says, well, surely you didn't do that because you wanted to win. Right. Because this is not a winning move. Right. The position immediately equalizes and Boleslavsky is like, well, no, I wasn't thinking it was a winning move. And then, you know, they ask him, well, okay, obviously you also weren't doing that move to lose, right? And he's like, no, of course I didn't want to lose. So then I'm like, well, why did you make that move? And Boleslavsky says, and I think this is one of the, the greatest chess quotes of all time, very underrated. He says, I made the move because it suited the position. Like, oh, I love that. Yeah, just it suited the position. Like, that's his thinking. Like, here is the position. What is the move that suits the position that, like, I think is is the most principled way of approaching this position. And very Soviet way. Yeah, thinking. very, very like, uh, very yeah, it, that's true. Very, but also, I think like very practical, very pragmatic, right? Like, yeah, just typical of of the thinking of those of those players. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think a, a very corrosive uh, and dangerous path to to be on is like having we've we've talked about this narrative before of like. Oh, I, I don't play boring chess. Like, you know, for instance, right. like boring? in this instance, yeah. right. Swapping off and going to the end game or whatever, like, like Bolislavski did because the, regardless of the position suiting it or not, but you know, Oh no, I don't play boring chess. I play interesting chess or like, yeah, I play to win. Like, you know, just because uh, you want something, it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen for you. You know, you, okay. It's, it's good that to have that, but like, the thing you can control is a process and like doing, right. taking oh, care of what's in front of you. The thing you, you know? can control is the process. That's exactly right. Yep. And the, yeah, the thing that's right in front of you. Yeah. I mean, I think like, <clears throat> you know, that little brief anecdote, I think sort of typifies the whole book, which is it's, it's, it's very anti-gimmicky. It's just, you know, let's talk about the chess that was played at one of yeah, this, maybe the arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, you know, super tournaments of all time. Um, and you get to really see some interesting games. Uh, some of the commentary I found to be very insightful in my own chess, like for years. Um, 
I can remember, you know, particular games that featured moments like an attack on the white squares and, you know, the things that you learn from that sort of infiltrate your thinking, even if you don't want them to. Um, so highly recommend it. Absolutely one of my all-time favorites. Check it out. Um, you can find it pretty much anywhere. That's my elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. Go, Paul, any, any thoughts to wrap this up? This was a lot of fun. We, uh, we, we kind of went to the absolute opposite end of where we were last time, which was that, you know, more <clears throat> quick, quick twitch chess hits with the, uh, with the, with the ticker talk uh, and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. We went to the absolute other end. And then we scooted on over. We scooted right on over to the other end. <laughs> Any final thoughts to uh, about books or, or things you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, actually. So hopefully we can put this in the, um, in the episode description uh, or whatever, but I actually do have a list on Reddit that I made like three years ago. Okay. Uh, it's a list of, it's a Google doc of, uh, of books that I recommend for ambitious players. Um, and basically there's like a short, huh? <laughs> That's the list I need. I said, what about unambitious players? That's the list I need. Or yeah, adult regressors like such as myself. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I have books in in all categories. Like a few, these are books that are influential um, that have you know stand out to me in my mind as some of the best. It's like not Thank all the best. And the chess um, the US chess I give like a short review for Please each one why they're important to me. And I think the list I, will be updated Shahan, soon. As well as um, I feel like it's due for an update after three years. So we can put that in the in the description. And it has a lot of the books that we've talked about here and much more. It's like seven pages long. So wow, that would be great. Yeah, if you can send that my way, we will get that in the show notes so our listeners can check it out. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, for National Master Gopal Menon, this is National Master Pete Karyanis. It's been a pleasure as always. We will see you all in April. Stay thirsty, my friends, for knowledge.